last year in 2020. For the first time, there were more IoT connections than the devices with non-IoT connections. By 2025, it is expected that there will be more than 30 billion IoT connections, almost 4 IoT devices per person on an average. The future of IoT has the potential to be limitless. Artificial intelligence is considered to be the main catalyst behind the endless possibilities of IoT and edge devices. But why is that? Can't IoT devices just work without the AI quite well? What are the implications of implementing it? Any security or privacy concerns and the what not? In this episode, we'll try to get the answers of these questions and more broadly try to learn how IoT works with AI and how you as a business or developer can utilize the power of the available tools from one of the global experts, Matt Sinclair from Microsoft. Hi everyone, uh, welcome to the Global AI the Podcast. I'm your uh, host for tonight and joined with Somi. And today we Hello. have a special guest, Matt Sinclair. He is a Global Sales Engineering Director AI at Microsoft. How are you doing, hey, Matt? Yeah, doing well, JK. Hey, Somi. Good to see you. Bye, Matt. Yeah, it's really nice to ha have you here. And you're working on IoT and AI together, right? Yeah, that's right. So although my field is predominantly AI, I come from a, a big history in the, in the world of IoT. And just about every day, I have a conversation about the intersection of IoT and AI. So I'm looking forward to sharing some of those stories uh, with you all tonight. Yeah, and one interesting thing about the IoT is when people are talking about IoT and AI, it almost feels like it's uh, two sides of the same coin. Uh, do you know why people think them to be so integral together? Well, JK, they're both two really interesting buzzwords that uh, match well together. No, it, it's because there are genuine intersections of, of IoT and AI. And I guess to, for, for a quick definition just to kind of lay the ground on what we're talking about so internet of things being connected devices you know being able to uh, get a digital perspective on the world uh, seeing it from a different perspective collecting all that information uh, that's IOT and then AI guessing everyone on the global AI podcast is familiar with the world of AI um, but you know trying to replicate human intelligence or build more intelligent systems uh, to again get better perspectives and make better decisions about the world. So I guess how they intersect is a really interesting conversation because uh, when you think about IoT, you have a, a massive velocity of data, you have massive quantities of data that are just far surpassing what humans are able to process, right? We, you know, this, this sheer volume of data, we can't process through it or we want to make more complex decisions and we just can't connect all the dots in the data. And that's where AI and, you know, specifically things like machine learning really come into the frame. So AI helps us make sense of our IoT data, which then helps us make better decisions about the world around us. That's awesome. interesting. Um, thanks, Matt. Uh, that was, I guess, one of my first questions because we've got a diverse set of audience being technical, non-technical, interested in IoT, yep. interested in AI. So I guess before we dive deeper to the whole IoT and AI, can you tell us a little bit more about AI and what is its application behind IoT? So it's 
so for our audience to be able to get a better understanding of what it is and what is the extension that we can go beyond. Yeah, absolutely. And and I've actually got a bit of an analogy for IoT and AI that, that hopefully helps it resonate with those sort of non-technical people in the audience. Um, think about your body. Think about your human body. And, you know, you can touch and feel and smell and sense things around you. And at the end of the day, that's just like electrical signals, right? It's just electrical signals passing through our body. Uh, it doesn't actually mean anything by themselves. It's when you combine that with the human brain and human intelligence and, and you know, the, the inner workings of the human body that you actually start getting value from these electrical signals. You are actually start being able to say, oh, this object's over here or, you know, I can see the traffic lights green or whatever it is. And that really is the connection between IoT and AI. IoT are just signals from the real world. Uh, you know, it might be on a piece of factory equipment, might be in a, in a, in a field, on a farm. Um, could be in your house with your, you know, connected uh, connected devices. Uh, but unless you apply AI to it, you're not really getting the intelligence or that rich insight from the data. It's just data. Uh, and so that hopefully helps uh, bring a, a real-world example that we can all relate to around sort of how IoT and AI play so closely together. Nice. What is the coolest IoT AI project that you've been part of? Uh, that the, you can so share. <laughs> there, there, are, there are so many uh, projects that, that you get to be part of. Uh, you know, ones that I've, I've definitely been been around me. Um, I won't say I was directly involved with these, but there's you know ones with a couple of food manufacturers out of Queensland where they're looking to create the crispiest chip that they can, and so they're looking at how they dig into the uh, the manufacturing facility, extract information about every element of the process, and then use intelligence to dynamically adjust the components of that process line so that every bit of ingredient that comes in will produce the crispiest chip coming out of it. Um, you know, the, if anyone who's heard me speak will have heard me tell things like the elephant story and how we're using AI to help, uh, you know, preserve dwindling populations of elephants. And those are the real kind of fascinating stories for me um, is when we're using AI and IoT to help the world around us. And so, you know, one, one that I was looking at the other day, which is actually from a few years ago, is uh, detecting snow leopards. And I don't know if anyone's ever seen a snow leopard, but these things are basically invisible in the real world. They're so hard to spot by the human eye. But we use cameras, which are effectively IoT devices to take snapshots, mm -hmm. and we use AI to observe, is the snow leopard in this image or not? And even go further and say, is this the same snow leopard we saw yesterday or two days ago? So it helps us to understand not only where the snow leopards are, but how individual snow leopards are tracking. And so, yeah, this combination of AI and IoT has uh, unlimited benefits in the commercial world. But for me, it's all about some of those humanitarian, those sustainable, um, some of those uh, broader societal applications where I think there can be a real impact. That's really interesting. I guess with the IoT, we have a huge amount of data and with AI, we can like kind of get the value out of it. We can put a meaning to all the data that we are receiving from all these devices surrounding us. That was a very interesting example. Yeah. I love chips, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the chips one is a good one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and talking about IoT and all of the devices and stuff like that, uh, yeah. one interesting topic would also be the smart cities and wearables and stuff like that. Do you have any insight on that? Smart cities is a really interesting conversation because I don't think anyone quite knows the definition of a smart city. I don't think anyone can actually agree on 
what a smart city actually is because you know you, you might go to one city council and then they say smart cities well we're deploying environmental sensors to better understand the atmospheric conditions of you know our, our city which is a perfectly realistic example others may say actually we're installing iot sensors on all of our ingress and egress points uh, our roads in our city so we can better understand traffic management and you have other people saying well actually you know we're looking at the the water flows and the pipes and trying to understand that the water dynamics around our city so Smart cities are actually a, a conglomerate of so many different industry applications compiled together. Um, but there are, I mean, Australia's, uh, I wouldn't say as progressed in smart cities as some other countries around the world. For example, Singapore, I think, is one of the leaders in this space. Um, even areas like Barcelona have been doing smart cities for years. Uh, but I think smart cities really uh, brings together that commercial and societal benefit that I was talking about before. You know, there are commercial applications to smart cities in the sense of making them more efficient, you know, reducing maintenance costs, et cetera. But, you know, we all live in cities. We all operate in cities, you know, with, with the advent of COVID, we've exited cities and now we're re-entering them. And so the benefits of being able to manage congestion or manage workflow and make it less stressful on people's lives and, you know, better direct them around the cities, I think is where you start seeing those two commercial and uh, humanitarian benefits coming together. Ah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it would be great if the cities kind of mold with us, like changes as we adapt. And yeah, I know that some people think smart cities are if you already have a bus that tells you roughly when it will arrive, like give you a ballpark in two minutes. Some people already think that is smart cities. But yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Another. Well, just on that, Jake, I mean, that it technically is, right? Because if, if we use this concept of IoT and AI, you've just IoT enabled your bus. Um, yeah. And this is, actually, this is actually a really good conversation about when does AI play a role in, in the applications of IoT? So let's use that example, right? Buses, or if you're in, in Melbourne like me, you've got trams and you can see how late your trams are going to be. It's wonderful. We've connected those trams, uh, you know, using GPS sensors, say, so we can get an accurate location of where of where that, that vehicle is, in this case, the tram. Now, I don't really need AI to take the GPS data, load it into an application and visualize it on a map. That's super simple, right? It's, it's like one data point, really basic. Where AI really starts to come into play with IoT is when we start considering other factors, like predicting when the tram is going to arrive or how late it might be. And so you start looking at things like weather, you start looking at things like traffic patterns, you start looking at things like how congested the tram is. And if you had a human try to build a, a mathematical equation to put all that together, you'd need, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, some sort of astrophysicist to come in and put all that together, which we don't all have access to. Instead, we can use AI to find those patterns and trends for us. So it's, it's, it's a great example of how you can have a simple application of IoT, which doesn't really need, uh, need AI, but it's not also super useful. It can be more useful through the application of, of AI and that combination of other data sources as well. So yeah, I'd argue it's actually a, a really good use case for, for smart cities, particularly on that sort of transport pillar. Yeah, now that you mentioned, like for instance, for, for me, smart buses might not be you know, a smart city thing, but if you think about it, if it's gone, all of the sudden uh, you're like, oh, now I'm completely lost. I don't know when I can get on the bus, where I can get there. So maybe smart cities is essentially when you start removing uh, features away, you're starting to notice how different your lifestyle becomes. But when it's getting yeah. introduced, 
you don't think and, about it that much because it gets well, integrated so well with your life. Exactly. And I, I don't recall where I heard this, this phrase. And so apologies, I can't reference it. And I'm going to butcher the paraphrasing of it. But it's basically like, if anything gets described as AI, it's no longer AI because we're familiar with it. So, you know, you look at facial recognition, you know, people become really comfortable with AI that it doesn't actually become that exciting anymore. And they're like, well, no, I'm still waiting for the next big thing to happen with AI. Like, it's not really here. Well, actually, facial recognition with AI is, is, is here. It's, it's, it's a real world application. And so because these kind of benchmarks can uh, continue to get surpassed, our expectations of, of these technologies get greater and greater. We don't realize there's already a myriad of applications that, that are here today that are actually enabled by IoT and AI. And the, the smart buses is a great one, JK. You're exactly right. If we ripped all that technology out, you'd soon realize just how powerful and impactful this technology actually is when it's something as simple as putting a GPS on a bus. So yeah, our, our expectations move higher and higher as we continue to surpass those benchmarks. Yeah, exactly. I guess the more we provide value through AI and IoT, the more we set the bar higher. So we have to achieve higher goals to provide more values, I guess. that That's a good an interesting statement that you mentioned, Matt. Uh, now we're talking about how AI and IoT can impact our lives. With the whole climate change concern and global warming, how do you think AI and IoT can help us? Yeah, this is this is a really interesting conversation about how uh, IoT and AI and other emerging technologies like quantum computing can help us with our sustainability goals, our mm. conservation goals, things like that. If we take, you know, IoT as, as the first subset, you know, we talk about IoT as, in, you know, internet connected devices placed around an environment. That's kind of what IoT is. But why we do IoT is because it gives us a different perspective on the world. It helps us understand problems in different ways. And so IoT is phenomenal for applications in sustainability because it gives us readings about environments that we may not have been able to uh, collect before. Uh, and so all of a sudden we're truly getting a 360 degree or even a 40 when you start considering, you know, that the time considerations, uh, the transient aspects of data, you start getting a really holistic picture on the world that helps you make more informed decisions. So IoT really does give us a broader perspective on the world where AI comes into play is kind of what we've been talking about. If you're putting yeah. more and more sensors, if you're considering more and more data streams, it just becomes too much for humans to handle. Uh, we need something like an AI system to crunch through that data. We need machine learning to come in and craft patterns in the data for us and help us make some of those insights. The other sort of consideration as well is when you start talking about things like digital twin, um, digital twin being the concept of you know, we as humans think about it as 3D models, but what it really is is a data data representation uh, of, of, of the physical world, of an environment, of the interactions. And so we start being able to create digital twins of ecosystems. And then from there, we can start using things like AI to simulate what happens to that ecosystem. So it's no longer being reactive on the real-time measurements we're doing or responsive to historical data. We now have such a diverse view of the world, we can create this digital replica of it and use things like AI to simulate all these scenarios and find more intelligent problems, uh, more intelligent answers to the problems that we have. So this intersection of AI and IoT, I think, has enormous benefits for sustainability and global warming. Um, one of the things that's happening in Australia is actually in uh, Kakadu National Park, where we're helping the Indigenous rangers get a better understanding of the environment by using drones to fly over to consider the, the different micro ecosystems that make up mm. that overall national park where you can see 
you know, okay, there's been some uh, reduction in, you know, this particular type of moss in this particular area or, you know, count the number of fish in this particular little pool. And so something they wouldn't be able to do as humans in an entire year, we can do by flying a drone over the top to tell them where they should be spending their time and helping them understand some of the uh, climate effects on this national park as well. So a great example from our own Australian backyard. That's awesome. I guess with this, that the sky is the limit. I mean, we can do a lot with AI and IoT, combining these tools and technologies. That's great. And thanks, that's a good example. Cool. I didn't know that. I have to look it up. Yeah, there's, there's a great video for it as well. <laughs> it's I'll a check it out. Video. And probably we can yeah. share it to our audience later as well, JK. Ah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll send you a link. Um, one, one thing one thing to quickly note, because I don't, I don't want to paint the world in, in an entirely rosy picture, um, <laughs> is there are there are limitations for how we do this as well, right? Like there are only so many sensors we can deploy. There's only so much data we can hold. There's only so much capability in our compute power that we start hitting limitations pretty quickly. And that's where we have to get, start getting more intelligent about the algorithms we use. We need to get smarter about the way we compose these you know, processor architectures or even start moving into entirely new things like quantum, which is I know not the topic of today's conversation, but a fascinating example nonetheless. Um, so yeah, although although we're working on it today and there's huge progress to be made, we are hitting limitations in the technology that will need mm -hmm. to be progressed in order to make sure we, we truly reach some of those uh, sustainability aspirations that we have. That's exciting. Yeah. I just got the link to the example that you mentioned uh, previously for uh, Centre of Australia for preserving the nature. Ah, look at that. Link's right there. Awesome. Well done, team. <laughs> Thanks, JK. Yeah, so everyone can uh, see it in the YouTube comments down below or on the podcast uh, description. Uh, so I got um, some interesting question regarding the state of the IoT and AI in Australia. Like you have already mentioned a little bit, but what do you think uh, is the state, uh, state of uh, IoT and AI in Australia? It's, it's a really good question, and it's it's one that I've I've got a different perspective on now I've moved from a, sort of a, a national role, which was my, my previous role about 12 months ago, to, the, to this global role. Um, Australia's actually quite progressed when you put it on the scale, but at the same time, there's so much more that can be done. And, and even when you look at uh, cloud migration numbers, about how many... Uh, uh, people around around Australia are moving their businesses to the cloud, which is a key ingredient to enabling IoT and AI because you get the, the compute scale, you get the data storage scale, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we are quite migrated to the cloud as a country. You know, a lot of people have taken their on-premise data centers, they've popped them in the cloud, they're experimenting with IoT, but we're finding they kind of stop at that proof of concept or that experimentation phase. And at least in my personal opinion, what I'm seeing globally is far more organizations in other countries willing to surpass that barrier into moving into production. Um, you know, they're, they're willing to take a chance on, on the technology. They can see the risks and they're comfortable with those risks or they see the risks of not doing the technology and, and having competitors surpass them. And, and, you know, that phrase competitor, I think, really is a key ingredient. Uh, when you look at the U.S., gosh, just about every one of, like, the Fortune 500 companies are using AI um, and, you know, if relevant, IoT as well. And if they're not, well, they may not have a business in two years' time. And I feel like that competitive pressure needs to be brought to Australia a little bit. I feel like there are some organisations that are really starting to mm -hmm. push the bounds of what's possible with IoT and AI, 
but we need we need the market as a, as, as a whole to get a little more competitive. Uh, and I think that's what's really going to start breaking through some of these proof of concepts we see into, you know, production use cases. So, uh, you know, if I were to put, if I was to give Australia a rating of zero to 10 on where they are in adoption of IoT and AI, I'd probably put them at a solid six. You know, good conversations, really smart people doing really cool things, but we need to take it to the next level. We need to take it into production. We need to make it part of the way we do business instead of thinking it's 10 years away. It's actually, you know, 10 months ago, we should have been doing it. Yeah, when we talk with clients, we always have like, yeah, we ha can have all of this AI stuff. And it's like, yeah, but how much is going to cost? It's like, you know, it's a pretty new thing. So it may cost anywhere from here because it all depends on the, the business. And a lot of businesses are currently not that keen to go to that path, but we are seeing less and less resistance. So let's hope that in a few years time, that's going to be much, much better. Yeah, and, and JK, I mean, you make a really good point there. It always has to come down to business value, right? Like, it's fun talking about new technology. It's awesome getting a Raspberry Pi, whacking some sensors on it and throwing it in the backyard. But what is the actual business benefit that we're, that we're getting out of it? What is the percentage improvement on our operations? What is the, and, you know, the, the percentage increase in our net promoter scores for our customer interactions? You know, how much cost is it reducing? Uh, it has to be proven in the business case before we scale. Um, but we're seeing that around the world. And uh, although it can be difficult to quantify some of those uh, positive impacts that these technologies can have, there's certainly plenty of examples out there. I was actually chatting to someone the other week. They're like, Matt, I don't know what AI use cases to, to use in my business. And I was like, well, have you just gone and read a couple of stories? No, I haven't even started. I said, well, go, go read those and still one. Go have a look at what other people are doing and consider how it applies to your business. Because if a big organization has gone and invested in it and is seeing genuine benefits from it, well, we know it's proven elsewhere. Let's now take that idea and bring it back to your business and see if you know the same, the same, uh, the same dynamics apply. Um, so people also have this hesitancy where they think they need to be innovative and they need to like they need to do something that's never been done before with AI and, and IoT when in fact like you can just do things others have done and in fact it's if, if you're hesitant or you're nervous about this this step into the world of emerging technology often just looking at the, the use cases around you and thinking about that how they apply to your business is the best way to go interesting having yeah. said that as you said in order to give like maybe new startups or new businesses to get into IoT and AI or give them that that jump start is there or does Microsoft has any like suit of application or tools or frameworks that we can like they can get some benefits or at least that give them like a good starting point to start to see the real benefits and then maybe yeah. later on they can expand? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of the things we're really big on at Microsoft is trying to consolidate our, our common patterns we see around the globe. So we're really big on contributing to the open source community. So tons of GitHub repos on, you know, here are best practices for retail recommendation systems. Or if you're looking to deploy a, an, an AI computer vision model on the edge, here is an example architecture. So there are lots of ways we're trying to democratize the availability of, of this insight or, or this, this technical capability if you're looking to structure it from a, a technical perspective. Um, and of course, there's plenty of uh, programs out there as well. We've got the whole Microsoft for Startups program that people can tap into. 
Uh, we've got the, the Microsoft Scale program where, you know, we help you kind of accelerate your business. So whether you're looking at it from a technical perspective, a business perspective, or even just getting started in Azure, there's plenty of content out there and plenty of programs available. The one thing I will give a bit of a plug because it is one of my favorite websites, which is a really nerdy thing to say, is uh, MS Learn and Microsoft Learn, which is a completely free learning environment where it walks you through everything from how to build an AI business case and strategy, how do you deploy an IoT device, how do you combine the two with a you know an edge deployment of AI uh, and, and a myriad of other capabilities as well from apps and dynamics, et cetera. So if anyone is looking to like learn a little bit more about this stuff, head on straight to MS Learn, Microsoft Learn, and uh, all of that content will get you from no to go. Uh, it's pretty, pretty phenomenal. So there's my quick plug for that. Yeah, MSN is really good. I use that when I wanted to start learning AI, even machine learning. It was the steps and the sessions. It's very easy to follow. So even if I, if you, even if you're not technical and you know nothing about that concept, it's very easy to follow. And the the Azure, you can get credit on Azure and you can start playing with the studio. So it's easy to, I guess for me, it, it was easy to just follow the steps and get, go through the course and. I guess it's a good jump to start. That's a good point as well. MS Learn is really good. And the, the quality of the courses and the content that we have over there is good too, yeah. which is good. Thanks to Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, we got the link for it down below, uh, specifically for introduction to Azure IoT. And yeah, it's really awesome, uh, especially if you want to try out, uh, say, a AI that needs to... Uh, have an Azure subscription or stuff like that. You, you get sometimes even sandbox, uh, so you don't have to pay for anything. You just start up the sandbox. You got in all of the instructions how to do it. It's really awesome. And talking about learning and things like that, so you have probably a lot of people coming to you and say uh, they might be technical, or not they're trying to learn things or you know tr trying to understand AI. Uh, how do you bridge that technical, non-technical people? How do you let essentially explain AI and push them in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 another good question because a lot of things we hear from customers and 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 businesses and and developers in the real world is skills are one of the biggest challenges that organizations have. They don't feel like they have the skills or the capability to, to get these things in production or even get started. And that's why, you know, Microsoft is investing so heavily in programs like Microsoft Learn and, and you know, our GitHub repositories and things like that to provide the, the best practice examples for how to get started with this technology. The question then becomes is once you become familiar with these uh, technologies and so sort of the architectural patterns and some of the deployment patterns is, how do you then decide the right use cases? Like, where do you even begin? And, you know, JK, this was a little to your point before around how do you actually define the, the business value? Um, yeah. What I find is uh, absolutely pertinent to any emerging technology project is having a variety of stakeholders in the room. It is so critical. And particularly when you start talking about things like IoT and AI, having people who actually understand the business or who will be consuming the output of that technology is critical to the success of any project and even critical to getting it started. Because the number of times, uh, particularly in the world of IoT, though I'm also seeing it quite often in the world of AI, is when you have the, the technology division and you've got some really smart people hacking around on these devices and they go, look at this awesome thing, and then it gets put on a shelf somewhere uh, and never gets used because the business hasn't had the buy-in to uh, to take it into production or see the value or even invest in it from a from a monetary perspective. So 
it's all well and good to get those skills up to scratch, of course, a critical part um, of, of your learning and development cycle. But if you're actually looking to get these use cases in a production, don't do it in isolation. Have those business users uh, come into the room, discuss the project, stay alongside you as the developer. Um, and, you know, and anyone who's, you know, a data scientist or done any of, of the work in the data science space will know how critical it is to have that business lens applied to a, an AI problem because otherwise it just, it's just data and statistics. It doesn't have any relevance and that often limits uh, the, the impact that the projects can have. Yeah, I, I noticed that when I talk with the clients, the scenario is usually the problem and the scenario has to impact a lot of people. Otherwise, uh, they're just not uh, that willing to go uh, forward. Yeah, and I, I should also say it doesn't have to, you know, from day one, it doesn't have to go and change the direction of the business. It's still important to prototype. It's still important to experiment, but you have to have that roadmap or that vision for how it will impact the business and have those sort of clear metrics on your on your proof of concepts or your MVPs to determine whether it's still achieving the results you, you thought it would. So starting small is totally fine, uh, but having that clear pathway for how it can transform the business is also critical to making uh, IoT and AI successful in any organization. Interesting. You touched based on for the people who want to get a start and to jump into MS Learn and maybe start learning about how they can do or even with the people who are interested in low code, no code solution, there are still tools available that they can use. So as a global leader on this field, how do you see uh, the career progression on these areas, either IoT or AI? What is your thought on that? One of the most interesting things that I think Microsoft is investing in is the democratization of these technologies. And I used that phrase before in reference to, you know, the technical architectures and, and, and reference patterns that we're producing, but also in the accessibility of this technology to people who don't come from technology backgrounds. And so, Soma, you mentioned low-code uh, applications, you know, drag-and-drop style interfaces for machine learning or you know, pre-built AI where you don't need to know how the AI works, you just consume it as an API and you can bake that into a, a, a no-code application through Power Apps or something. Um, I think this is, this is really where we start seeing some diverse impacts with AI. And so people coming from the business world, not necessarily going straight into the world of data science, but experimenting with these pre-built AI capabilities because they have that that business intuition and that business insight, they know where the biggest challenges are in your organization. They can yeah. move into these low code, no code worlds, the drag and drop, they can play around and apply AI uh, and you know start getting value straight away. You know, of course, at the same time, we still need the likes of the data scientists and whatnot progressing our capabilities with more complex models. But I, what I would say to people out there looking to get into the world of AI at least, is it's so accessible now. It's so democratized that you don't need to spend three years going and, and studying at a PhD level. You can actually have an impact today with, a, with a, a certain amount of generalized use cases. And it's almost the same for, for IoT as well. You know, I would say most IoT folk started off in their bedroom or their backyard hacking around with a Raspberry Pi and, uh, you know, some other, some other connected device. You know, you don't necessarily have to do that anymore. There are plug and play style IoT uh, devices. So one thing that Microsoft is investing heavily in is this idea of plug and play, where just like if you get your PC, you don't care what mouse you use, you just plug it in and it works. How do we do the same thing for IoT so that people who don't come from that coding or that technical background yeah. can still take their great ideas and apply these technologies 
focusing on the business outcomes. So uh, the biggest thing out of all of that is just get started. Just get started. Look out for these low-code, no-code tools, these plug-and-play-style environments. Don't feel like you need to go and study 10 years at university to, to, to kickstart. There's definitely times and places for that. But if you don't come from the tech world, but you come from the business world, look at these entry points and start playing around with some of these uh, lower barrier of entry technologies. Thanks for that. Yeah, uh, I just got notified that we might need to finish slowly. I, I have a yeah. feeling like we could talk for <laughs> hours. Um, see, um, I, I have searched through your LinkedIn profile and uh, seen that you have commented a little bit about sports and AI and how it can enhance the entire experience. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I can. Uh, that, that comes from my work with uh, the GSIC, the Global Sports Innovation Center, which is a, uh, a, a program that Microsoft supports and uh, based out of Singapore, the, the team I work with, um, helping some of the, the startups and coaching them on the applications of AI and IoT. I love this. Uh, like I, I like sports. I, I like the not only like the, the competitive aspect of it, but I loved how data can really change the way that, that we uh, perceive sport and the way that people play sport as well. And so there's a myriad of applications uh, from, you know, how do you go from improving player fitness and health through, you know, wearable style technologies to predict uh, when injuries might occur if they overextend or move in, in, in difficult ways. And how do you build custom rehabilitation programs based on the, you know, the, the historical health data of that individual? There's like fan interaction. Uh, which is one of the, the coolest ones that I've seen. I think just in the past two weeks, Microsoft announced the uh, NBA Court Optics uh, tool, which is basically a way to engage the fans better with the NBA. And it's, it's fascinating because it's not just about identifying who's who on the court, but starting to get statistics about, you know, how many times they've interacted, et cetera. But then taking the step further with machine learning by, you know, the, the player will, will, will catch the ball, which way did they turn their head based on how they turn their head? What's the percentage likelihood that they'll successfully make the pass versus take the shot? Like there's so many rich insights you can get that it really immerses people um, into the sport. And for those, you know, cr crazy fans who want to take it to that next level, it's all there. Um, the final point on that, which I think is a really interesting one, is that's all, you know, re retrospective. But how do you bake that into the broadcast experience as well, which is what a lot of startups are doing is how in real time do you do that advanced AI analytics on a huge amount of video data uh, and make that so that there's barely any delay in the process as well. So look, uh, the sports, I think there's a ton of opportunity in here, uh, regardless of which way you kind of look at it. Um, and I'm personally looking forward to seeing more, uh, more AI and IoT experiences in, in the sports that I watch. You're on mute, JK. Definitely, that sounds very interesting, man. It's, it's. It, I mean, you got me excited. There is a lot that has been done already that is out there, and it's just a matter of us going and maybe replicate the same solution for our own business values. That was great. Yeah, I. It's exactly right, Sami. Um, if anyone's not sure about where to get started, I'll repeat what I said before. Go and have a look at these customer stories. You know, Microsoft has an entire customer story page where you can just flick through, filter by industry, have a look at what's out there, have a look at what people are doing, and if something strikes you, see how how it relates to your business. Think about could you take this solution, apply it to some of the challenges you've got, and that's that's often the best way to get started. Is based exactly. on the, what others have proven. I guess we can start small, see the benefits, and if it's good, we iterate and make it.
bigger. Exactly right. Thanks for that, Matt. All right. So with that, uh, we got a really good uh, session. I really loved going everywhere from smart cities. Then we talked about sports. We talking about a lot about learnings, how you actually communicate to people about AI. And yeah, I really love that we would have another hour. Maybe next we can invite you one more time and uh, try to uh, dig other topics. But for now, uh, We'll have a wrap, and you'll be able to uh, listen to uh, this episode on YouTube, and we'll also publish it on podcasts, so you can listen it while you walk or dr drive in a car. And with that, thank you, uh, Matt, uh, for coming. Thank you, so me, JK. Thank you so much. Uh, great conversation. Look forward to it coming back sometime soon. Thanks a lot, yeah. Matt. It was really good. And see you, everyone, on the next one. Thanks very Bye. much. Bye. Have a good one. Bye.